begin to conclude at least the summer portion of the summer of love, I, I really do hope that as we've made our way through either a variety of, of focus and lessons and interactions with one another and even real attempts at hospitality and at uh, Philadelphia and Philizenia, uh, loving for your brothers and sisters, loving for those that you don't know so well yet, um, that in, in the midst of all of that, that, that God is uh, really being able to refine your intentions towards the, the greatest of all expressions of faith, and that is love. It is the very essence of God. God is love. And so we spent these hundred days. Uh, they'll be coming to a close within about a week. But as we do, this is my hope and my prayer, is that we have at least moved the needle to some small degree that will change the trajectory of the way that we live in Hampton Roads. And if this is really going to have traction that really has a trajectory change for all of us, it's got to begin here with the bodybuilders of Hampton Roads, with the Bible talk leaders who build the body of Christ in Hampton Roads. Uh, and that as, as we decide to embrace fully what it is to love completely, my goodness, what a difference it could make because our example is, is so vitally important. And so today's bodybuilders lesson is on the summer of love, but focused really on ourselves. Now, when, when we have lessons, a lot of times I find it to be a lot easier if the lesson is about me being a more effective leader, guiding, directing, discipling, encouraging my group. Why? Because in my mind, it becomes about the group. But when the lesson is simply about me, those are usually not so easy. So today is not so easy because this is strictly about us. This is not about how you're going to interact with your group. This is about us, us and our example. As, as we follow Christ, what do we look like as we, the bodybuilders of Hampton Roads, get after truly, truly imitating the love that God has laid down for us? And so as we look at this, uh, you know, Paul gives a variety of charges again and again. You know, in First Corinthians, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's in First uh, Corinthians 11, 1. Uh, earlier in that very letter, he says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. So, again, while this is about being effective bodybuilders and, and effective leaders, the most important aspect of, of, of being a leader is being worthy of imitation. I remember sitting with Gordon Ferguson in a, in a cafe one day, and I had him all to myself. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've got Gordon Ferguson himself right here. And I remember saying to Gordon, all right, Gordon, what is the most important lesson that you've gleaned from, from all of these years of leadership? And, and I, I really do want, want to learn from what it is that you've learned. And I remember what, what he said. He put down his, his fork, he looked right at me, and he said, the biggest thing that I've learned is the power of personal example, that it comes down to that again and again and again, that there's no shortcut for being able to lead with a personal example. It's not good enough to be able to be eloquent. It's not good enough to be able to persuade. 
None of that will be persuasive. None of that will actually be in any way magical words unless you have a personal example. I thought, oh, anything but that, Gordon. Right? I mean, that, that just means every, everything then is, is about really looking at my, my own example and, and whether I'm living out. The most important thing is faith expressing itself through love. I mean, it's the most important command. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The other is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. It comes down to this again and again. You can fathom all mysteries. You can have great Bible knowledge. You can be so radical that you surrender your body to the flames. You can be so amazing in your giving that you surrender everything that you have to the poor. You can have a faith that moves mountains. But if you don't love, you are nothing. And if you're not nothing, that passage says then maybe you're a clanging gong that is an annoying sound that you wish you knew how to turn it off and hit the pause button at least. Like that's all that I am if, if I do not love. All of those other things are nothing in comparison to being able to love. And so I, I want to look for a minute at a few scriptures that really impress upon us. And some of these are very familiar, but when they all start to pile up on one another, of realizing that Jesus' plan was one in which he provides example so that others would provide an example, so that others would provide an example. It really does, I think, begin to finally melt my heart in recognition that this is not about being a better delegator. This is not about being a better deployer of any sort of activity or inspiration. That, my goodness, I've got to start right here, right here, here, here with this. And so let me share a few scriptures with you. In... In uh, first, oh, I'm sorry, in Philippians 4, Paul, Paul writes, Join together in following my examples. This is Philippians 3.17, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I don't think it gets any more blatant than that in what Jesus' plan of discipleship is. And what part that we play and what important role our personal walk in Christ really does lead. We need to look at examples, follow examples, provide a model and keep your eyes on those that are providing that model in your own life. Knowing that those that are keeping their eyes on you are really looking towards a model in Christ. They want nothing less than to be able to see Jesus in every step that we take, that the, 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 the great walk of our lives is one is walking as Jesus walked. Amen. Whatever you have learned is continuing in Philippians, uh, Philippians four, nine this time, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Wow. Paul is just like saying, go ahead, poke around. If you've noticed it, if you've heard it, if you've observed it, if you overheard it, if you've bumped into it, if you've seen that into me, well then guess what? That's what you should be really regarding. And that's what it is that I hope to get across to you. To the, the, the great idea that Paul shared not just the gospel, but his life as well. And for Paul, he really took seriously Jesus's great commandment, his great commission, rather, to go and make disciples through discipleship. There's no shortcut that if we choose to obey everything, 
well then everything will fall into place. But it all rises and falls on the middle portion of that commission, obey everything. Teach them to obey everything just as you are obeying everything. And my goodness, what it is that we can do in a lost world. In, to the church in Thessalonica, he wrote, you became imitators of us. You know, right before he writes that in verse 6, he has just said, you know how we lived among you for your sake. First Thessalonians 1. Uh, it, verses, I'll, I'll probably read from 5 to 7 overall. I think the ones that are in view here are 6 and 7. But you know how we lived among you for your sake. So what is he doing there? He's establishing the model, which is then going to be followed by, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Amen. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Whew, boy, oh boy. This is something that we cannot in any way get wiggle room away from. Moving on, he says in 2 Thessalonians 3.9, we did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as what? As a model for you to imitate. By the way, even with all that I'm sharing, I'm just kind of scratching the surface of the plan of discipleship that is so elegant and so simple, but the simplicity doesn't make it easy. The simplicity makes it clear, but sometimes being clear makes it all the more hard because you can't get away from it. You can't justify not doing it because it is so straightforward and so clear. Uh, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and, in, and patience inherit what has been promised. Hebrews 6, 12. And then a little later in Hebrews, this is to second generation Christians, which, by the way, who knows who really wrote Hebrews? Many actually really do hold to the idea that it was Apollos based on the, the writing and some of the internal cues. Well, Apollos would have been a disciple of Priscilla and Aquila who would have been a disciple of Paul. Uh, and here he is as a third link in the chain or fourth from, from, from Jesus to Paul. Uh, and here he is trying to provide the link to the next generation of Christians. They're about to come after him. And there he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider, this is a deep idea of contemplation, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. By the way, the list, if that was the list of those that were just written about in the, uh, in the Hebrews 11 chapter of faith, the outcome of their way of life for the vast majority of those people at the, in the recent list was death for the gospel. That was the outcome of their way of life. Consider that and then imitate their faith. And of course, we see love that knew no bounds again and again throughout the models that we are to imitate through Scripture. And we, we've said this before, but just when I read that, 
What do I want to do? I want to say they had a special dispensation. They had a special relationship. They came at a time where they needed to step it on up because the gospel was gaining traction in new lands. And just when I want to say they had it different, the very next verse, this is Hebrews 13, 7. The very next verse is this one. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's almost like there's a pause there. The writer waits for me to give my excuse. And then he slams the door shut down on my excuse so that it can't see the light of day. Because it is invalid. The most invalid of all excuses is that, oh, we can't be like Isaiah. We can't be like Paul. We can't be like Barnabas. We can't be like Apollos. Why? Because, well, Jesus was something more different or whatever to them. No, Jesus is the same. And this is him writing it to the next generation where the baton is going to be passed even further. To you all, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Peter writes, Be shepherds of the flock of God who are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And then he concludes with saying, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but here's what you do. Be examples to the flock. And so as we get into some of these scriptures that are coming up, know that you can ignite an amazing fire throughout all Hampton Roads, throughout your Bible talk, throughout our fellowship, that will spread because it's God's will for it to spread through every corner of our seven cities of the 757. It will because it is God's will and this is God's plan. And it's not to be, I don't know, more efficient in your ability to get out communication, a, a better use of, of um iMessage or email is not the answer to all of this. Being able to kind of spread more information to your group. The, the essence of it all is we just get up in the morning, let the gospel wash over us, and we get out there and we live out what it is to see faith expressing itself through love. And as we now consider the summer of love and we consider what it is that we are to imitate well, we have Jesus as the great model because we're to imitate those who imitate the Lord. And praise God that he captured in the scriptures our example in Jesus. And one of the most beautiful chapters ever in the love of Jesus is when he says, Okay, having loved his own, he now loved them to the lovingest, lovingest, utmost. All right, the, the, to the, whatever that, that idea is, that he loved them to the fullest, to the overflowing. And that's when he... Just puts the, the towel around him, gets down on the floor and washes some nasty feet and looks at him and, and continues to talk to them about, I call you friend. This is our new relationship. This is the depth of who we are together. I want you to know this love. I want you to know the intimacy that we are to have one with another. I want you to know what God thinks of you. I want you to always remember God washing your feet. God loving you to this degree. God who's washed you through and through. And he says, I've set you an example. Why? So that you should do as I have done for you. Not just washing the feet, although I think that's a poignant example. 
But he goes on to then expand on that idea in the same conversation. And just a little while later, in, in John 13, 34 and 35, the great new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Love again and again is agape through here, which is just simply the idea of loving through the will, not loving through affection. That you, through your will, make a very real and selfless decision to serve someone else for their own good. That's agape. There's no kind of great insightful definition to it other than that, that it is selfless service from you to someone else to benefit them. Selfless service to benefit someone else. It's not a feeling. It's, it's, it's not a love song. It's not the object of any songs, as a matter of fact. Nobody writes songs about the fact that, well, I just, you know, kind of selflessly decided one day that I would serve you for your own good. Nothing romantic about that, but something radically beautiful because it's Jesus that we see in view there. And that's what he calls us to do. And so as we kind of embrace the summer of love, yes, we embrace Philadelphia, kindly, loving, brotherly affection, one for another. And yes, we embrace Philizenia, that, that we really do get after the people that we like and bring them into our homes and our lives and extend affection to them. But when any of that is not there to bolster us, well, then either way, just agape, just selflessly serve. And by the way, I think we all know this. When you do, the affections end up coming into play. Your, your, your affectionate side of your, your heart kind of catches up to the will of your heart as well. By the way, you know, we always talk about heart and head and all of that. You know, in the scriptures, your heart is not, scripturally, first century, your heart is not the place of love songs. Your heart is not the place of even affections. Your heart is this incredible place, and it's interesting the way that it's positioned. Your head is obviously the place of thinking and knowledge and consideration and contemplation. But the place of your affections and your compassion doesn't then go to your heart. It goes to here. It's your viscera. It's your like small intestines. This is the place of compassion. The, the word is literally spleen. It's, it's splunka is, is the idea. When Jesus has compassion for someone, it's not that his heart goes out to them. It's as if, if I could, I would shoot out my small intestines to wrap around you and embrace you and draw you back in to, to, to my loving kindness. I mean, that's, that. well, that's the, the crazy image to us. But that was the way they all made sense of those deep, abiding, groaning affections. They were from here. And you know what your heart was? It was the intersection of those two things. It was the place where your emotions and your thoughts meet to come together. And it results in your will, in your determination. So your heart was more about that. Again, not, not to say, well, you shouldn't be heartsy. Yeah, yeah, be heartsy, but, but, but know that if you're going to try to apply that to all the heart scriptures in the New Testament, you're applying it to scriptures about will and determination and resolve. Yeah. Kind of like we would say your backbone maybe today. But, but, but scripturally, if you want to talk about affections, you got to go a little further down. Point to your belly button and whatever's behind it, as wild as that is, uh, rather than here. But nonetheless, as, as we look at the heart, the backbone, 
the spine, the resolve to, to, to get after really living as Jesus did. Well, now let's take a look at what this includes. So as we take a closer look at the heart uh, and we see the, the way that Jesus loved. Well, Luke 15, I love that because it says all these tax collectors and sinners were, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And of course, the Pharisees were a little bit jealous of that. And so they say the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, you know what, this guy, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now, I, I want us to take a careful consideration of this kind of love that Jesus had. He gave himself over to people he did not know well. He rearranged his life despite people hanging on him from every turn. And he gave himself over to be able to have real table fellowship with those that he did not know. And especially those that he knew needed to be reconciled to the love of God. Those were the ones that he really did spend the time with. Give himself, give the extra time to, to make sure that they could know him. And in this summer of love and in this charge as the bodybuilders of the church to love, my charge is from scripture. The charge is, is that we are going to really, here's praying, decide to love those that need to know the love of God. Amen. To really love those. It's what Jesus did and it's what we're called to do. Uh, for, for example, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, I think it's back in Mark 2, where after he meets Levi, the tax collector, where he says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, they're not saying it in a positive way. Wow, how is it that he's able to do that? No, to them, it's like, ooh, look whose house he's in. Now, here's the interesting thing about Jesus and his hospitality. In some cases, he was happy to receive hospitality from others. He was happy to get a bit of help from a, a woman at a well. But he was also happy to offer hospitality likewise, to cook up some fish and come on over and have a bite here and, you know, help me. I'm, you know, come to me, all of you who are, 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 are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. Right. I mean, Jesus was happy to play it either way. And as we seek to make loving connections with those that need to know the love of God, well, I think Jesus is a, well, obviously more than worthy of imitation because he did it whether it was receiving hospitality or, or being able to offer hospitality. And for the people that God are putting in your life, I think you want to start thinking, even now as we progress through some of these scriptures, who are people that you can kind of invite yourself over? As Jesus, hey Zacchaeus, you know what? I think it's time for you to offer me some hospitality. Tonight, I'm eating at your house. Hope you got something good that's cooking there. But I love the way he was so familiar so quickly and, and so quick to be able to just recognize, you know what? We're buds now. Like we're tight. We're tight that way that I can actually even kind of say it to that degree. And you know that when you have really good friends, you can kind of make some kind of social, uh, let's call them faux pas, right? You can, you can kind of step over normal show, social uh, protocols because you're close. Right? You can say, yeah, you know what, man? Um, you know what? I, I, I got nothing. So you're, you're going to have to feed me tonight. You know, or, or we're going out to eat. Hey, we're going out to eat. That's fine. But you know what? I hope you got your wallet on you because you got me tonight this time. <laughs> but when you're that close to someone, they know it, right? They, they appreciate it. I think Zacchaeus, like Zacchaeus didn't say, well, Jesus, that's, uh, you know, that, I mean, let, let's, let's 
kind of defer to Miss Manners on this one. Is, is that actually appropriate? I, I, I'm not sure. No, he, he was like, wow, I guess Jesus and I are tight. That he could be able to do that. I, I think we've, we've got to look at who are the people that you need to be that tight with in your life that need to know the love of God. And by the way, a lot of people that need to know the love of God, you may have already studied with them and the study has unraveled for whatever reason. By the way, every study always hits a rather severe bump. But there's one group of people in our church that can hit many, many, many bumps and still make it. Our teens. Why? Because you decided not to give up on our teens. Because either they're your kids or you are children's ministry workers who are literally superheroes that could be wearing your capes even to this meeting right now. And, and you really are superheroes. But our, imagine if we all reached out to people who needed to know the love of God like the teen workers reach out to our kids. Right? I mean, I'm almost ready to tear up thinking about what it is that they do for our kids. And wow, what if we loved the way that Jesus loved? What if we had that kind of perseverance in our love? When Jesus was first meeting the disciples, or disciples would later become disciples, in John 1, one of the great expressions of hospitality was this. It's like, Jesus, we want to know more about this. Who are you? What's going on? Come and see. Because it's preceded even by the idea of where are you staying? What's going on? What's your life all about? Jesus is like, you know what? How about I just invite you into my life? I could kind of wax philosophic on the messianic fulfillment of all that you've just read when you were sitting under the fig tree. But instead, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invite you into my life. In the other passages, Jesus was kind of inviting himself into their lives with hospitality. Here, he is clearly giving the ultimate hospitality. As a rabbi who would then have to kind of take care of these 12 guys, they're going to follow him and lean on him, be dependent upon him. Uh, for, for a very long time. But nonetheless, the invitation of hospitality was one that really did bring about them knowing the love of God. But as we love, we've got to remember the great passage on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. If we could remember that, just as our teen workers remember that as they study with our teens, as we remember that with the studies that, that go sideways, the seekers that go sideways, the friends that maybe never really get going, well, guess what? Love is patient. Love is kind. But love is really costly. You know what's not costly for me? Radical evangelism. Radical evangelism costs me much less than hospitality does. Because think it through. On, a, on even your greatest day of radical evangelism... Do you think you ever put in more than like two hours of, of just all out? Let's go. You know, we're going to kind of preach the word. We'll street preach. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll walk up and down. Anybody that wants to hear, let's, let's go for it. Even as, as school comes back into session, you know, even on, on those days, you know, probably the amount of time that I'm actually contacting someone and talking to them versus time in between is, is probably added all up. is no more than two hours. But every time I offer hospitality to someone, it's going to be a whole lot more than two hours. Hospitality is much more costly 
than even the most radical of all evangelistic efforts on our part. And sadly, this is what I've learned this summer. I prefer radical evangelism because I want quick results. I, I want to just be able to drop a propaganda leaflet and see it spring into life. I want that to be the seed that lands on the good soil. And whoa, voila, up, up pops Mike Busson because he had an invitation in his car for eight months. And he finally looked at it. And when he did, turned himself in and became a disciple. Like, I want that. I want low caloric evangelism, conversions, something that, that really doesn't cost me much. And because I know that, that's where I've got to realize, all right, I'm a mess. I would rather preach radically and surrender my body to the flames than to just love. I'd rather just give a whole bunch of money to the poor than just love. Why? Because if I decide to really love, that's going to rearrange the furniture of my life. That kind of love bumps into your home and changes everything around and says, I'm reorganizing the way you do life from now on. And I don't know if I want that in my life. It's like, whoa, I, you're so big and all-encompassing and I can't get away from you and this is suddenly my new lifestyle. But that's what love is. It's a radical, amazing call that's given to us. But if we were to stick in there with the seekers the way that you stick in there with your kids, the way that these amazing teen workers stick in there with our kids, wow, what might happen? How many more people might have that second or third chance that might actually be that time? And I bring this up because Deb and I were in a trip, and I've shared this with a lot of you already, but we went to a trip to Jakarta this summer. And on that trip, we spent time in a couple Bible talks where everybody in that Bible talk was converted that way. And by the way, they were all the leaders of the Jakarta church. And not only were they the leaders, they were also the type of people that you'd be actually afraid to reach out to in many cases. They were captains of industry. They were some of the, the real estate barons of the city of Jakarta. Two of them were uh, American Idol winners, the, the version over there. Uh, two of them were Formula One race car drivers. Like, I know we like NASCAR. We don't even know what Formula One is. Formula One? They don't even, they don't even give the time of day to NASCAR. Like, like yeah, I mean, Formula One drops propaganda leaflets on NASCAR. It, it's their exhaust at best. Two of them. Two Formula One drivers. Oh my... And, and these, these guys, I mean, did they have stories to tell too? Like, oh, like I can't believe I'm sitting around a table with all these people and they're really disciples. And I thought, how, how does such a thing like this happen? How do you have this kind of a collection of people? And I begin, you know, like anytime you start to ask people their conversion story. And it was like a teen conversion story. Right? They studied, they failed, they studied, they ran away, they studied. But nobody gave up on them. Again and again, you know, that, that tether may have gotten pretty far, but they, they, they held on to it. The disciples kept loving them. In some cases, many of the disciples, when they got connected, everybody stayed connected. They spread the wealth. It's a lot of effort, a lot of effort, a lot of selfless service to benefit others that, that goes into this, but they stayed connected. Amen. And boy, oh boy, did they ever. Uh, you know, when you think about hospitality, one of the great examples we've had even recently in studying out Genesis is Abraham. And I think this is kind of the, 
the heart of it because you see it in the Old Testament so often. In some cases, it's, it's um, pr- pretty awful, like with Lot and his daughters. But, but in other cases, Abraham, when he looks up and sees three men standing nearby, when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground. Why? Because they were strangers. Like that's how he treated strangers. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and then you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat. This is Genesis 18. So you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham quickly went to the tent. They were quick. Get three seeds of flour, the finest flour needed, bacon and some bread. Right? I mean, that's the, that's the resolve. It's like, oh my goodness. God has put someone in my life that's a stranger. So I'm going to fill a zenia them. Literally, love a stranger. Xenia, stranger, fill up, you know, like Philadelphia, love. I'm going to love up on a stranger. And boy, does he ever. And I, I think as God puts people in our lives, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about hospitality, when we're talking about loving those. But it's not just a kind of a, a, a drive-by love, because love is patient, love is kind. Love has a long-term horizon. And if we're loving to really help connect people who need to know the love of God to God, well then, let's love the way that we love our teens. In looking at the qualifications for a leader, one of the great qualifications, you have them in, this is in both 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, rather he must be hospitable. This is the Titus 1 quote. Um, Rather he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must be, number one, hospitable. Now, who would think that that would lead that list when you think about an elder? An elder candidate here, an overseer. You'd think self-control, being holy, disciplined, upright, being one who really does embrace all things that are good. But what leads the list? Being hospitable. This is no small thing, but I think God realizes that when this is going on, you've rearranged your life for the will of God. You clearly are no longer living for self, but for him who died for you and was raised again. You've clearly allowed him to come into your life and rearrange all the furniture, rearrange all of the ways that you live your life. But as I say this, and as I give the example of loving the teens, there's a danger of the good old pendulum issue that we we often face is that okay here we are now and we're at radical love i guess what you're saying is that we've overdone it here that we're not really loving uh, i mean we're at radical evangelism we're not really loving and now what we really need to do is get on over here to christian love we've been doing the radical evangelism oh my goodness i can't believe we've been so blind let's get over here to christian love wrong metaphor this is not a pendulum swing that, that, that should be in view here at all. As a matter of fact, if we think that's being the case and we swing away from radical evangelism, despite seeing it all throughout the examples of those who follow Jesus, including Paul and everybody in the book of Acts, if we actually get away from that, well, then this would be the, the, uh, the results just here in Hampton Roads. In Hampton Roads, we had 600 baptisms between 2011 to 2016. So in those six years, we had 600 baptisms. If we did not have radical evangelism in the midst of those, 
six years, well then, this would have been what we would have missed out on. 300 of those baptisms came from old contacts. Family, old friends, deeper relationships. But guess how many came from cold contacts? It was, it was exactly half. I don't know if it was exactly half, but the, the, the records we have have it almost as closely pegged at, at 50% each way. 50%. So, but matter of fact, how many of you actually came in contact with the kingdom through cold contact? So look around real quick. Yeah. So... That's a little bit more than 50% right right here. Please know, this is not about, well, praise God, we're enlightened. Thank you that you went to Jakarta and you found the more excellent way. That, that is, we're not talking about a, a, a pendulum swing here, but, but instead, I think the better analogy would be this idea of, well, let, let's just call it the, the, uh, the Grinch metaphor. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. That's, that's actually what we have in view as our metaphor. Not a pendulum swing from one form of love to another, but to beg God that he would expand our capacity to love. To not neglect the former while running after the latter, but to, to really look for a way to add to your godliness mutual affection, to your mutual affection, love. Clay and Jean are, are doing a series on, on empty nesters that's all about expanding our capacity. And the end of that expanded capacity is all about love and love. It's the last two things that are mentioned in uh, Repeat 157. Sorry, it's old habit, the way we used to refer to that scripture. Um, and some of us cringe that we're around in 2002 and realize... Dwayne was getting kicked off campus because of that phrase. But anyway, uh, we're, we're looking at expansion here, not about kind of realigning what it is that we do. Uh, I love even what is said in 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Now, on the topic of brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you are practicing it toward all the brothers and sisters. But we urge you, brothers and sisters... To do so more and more. This is about adding. This is about more and more. This is about our personal example. And I think the one great scripture that talks about this addition and expansion and diversity of love is Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. This is 9 through 13. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. By the way, in the pendulum swing, not only could we actually swing the pendulum from thinking, well, I used to be radical in my evangelism, now I need to be deep in my love. But the other pendulum swing might be too, is that, well, I used to be holy all the time and hang out with Christians and only contact the world when they were seeking God in a Bible study. Now, I guess I'm going to the club. Because <laughs> I'm going to eat with tax collectors and sinners. No, no, no. Let this scripture be a good guide because it's one of the greatest love scriptures in the Bible. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Don't begin to embrace what is evil in the midst of clinging to what is good. Be devoted to one another in Philadelphia. I don't mean when you're in Philadelphia. I mean in brotherly love. 
Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice philozenia. Practice hospitality. And, and thus, that is what we have in view here is in, in Romans 12, 9. Let me see if I can get this to... The, the two words that bookend that passage is in the beginning, our love for one another, Philadelphia, and at the end, Philozenia, our love for strangers that, that are there before us. What I would love for us to do in just a moment is to break out into discussion groups and kind of have a Philozenia file of facts. You don't know what a file of facts is, probably. It's just, it was back in the day before there were day planners or cubby planners or apps. There was something like, I'm talking like 60s and 70s, that you used to keep your life organized. And it was called a file of facts. What I'm suggesting is that we all have a Philozenia file of facts. I know I'm stretching it with the alliteration here. But nonetheless, what, what, I'm, what I want is for us to all, in our personal example, of deciding to love that is patient, love that is kind, love that is sincere, love that practices hospitality, love that identifies the people that, that you really need to love in your life. I, you know, I, I've shared Paul's example. When Paul was here in the early days before the church really got going, he didn't have many friends. I mean, you can imagine that, really. But nonetheless, Paul had to pray for his friends. That's the way it went for him. So, he's like, God, please, just one friend. What's wrong with me, God? Well, anyway, no, he began to pray. He began to pray specifically for a friend who would be very much one that would like him. That would really like him. Somebody that was in the medical field. Somebody that liked what Paul liked. Somebody that liked sports. And Paul then, after he prayed was on the lookout. Because what does it say? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. You know, and, and as you are watchful in your prayers, you then are anticipating what it is that God's going to do. And as, as you're prayerful and watchful, and guess what? Paul, Paul suddenly saw what God put in his path. And it was Eric Lipton. A, uh, a doctor, a family practice physician, who, who also played tennis collegiately and played a lot of sports. And right away, Paul was like, thank you, God. Now I got to go to work. Now it's my turn to really love. To really love and invite him into my life. That I'm going to eat with tax collectors and sinners. That I'm going to offer up hospitality. I'm going to invite myself into hospitality. And if it seems as though there's a real connection here, well then I'm, I'm going to get after it. But, but after praying to connect, the connecting part, I mean praying is, you know, it's hard to stay disciplined in our prayers of course. But then once God has put that person in your path, it's easy to make first connection, but to really connect fully into friendship, that's the hard part. That's why this is for leaders and not for everybody in the church. What we're really encouraging you to do is to connect at a courageous level. Not just to connect, hey, we got a good Bible talk, come and see. No, I'm talking connect with the intention of not just making this a cold contact, but connect in making this an old contact. That if God is going to put this person in your life, you are, yes, cold contact with them, but cold contact with the courageous idea that they're going to become an old contact. That doesn't happen by just kind of giving an invitation and saying, oh, I hope you can come by. It's with, hey, you know what? 
seems like really great to meet you. I don't know. You know, we're, we're watching the fight at my house. Love for you to come by. Or, you know, I'd love to get a cup of coffee. This is so hard. I mean, I think it's harder for a guy to do this, by the way, because social norms are kind of being flaunted all over the place. I think for sisters to have a kind of an easy kind of, hey, I brought you cookies. Come over sometime uh, to our house is a little bit easier. But again, for a guy, you know, I don't know what Paul said to Eric. Will you be my friend? Um, I'm just a boy looking for a boy to complete me. I don't know. Like, how does that, how does that go? I, I don't know. Maybe I don't think any of us know. But, but I think God starts to make it clear that your prayer is being answered. But if you're not praying, then you won't ever be looking for it. And if you're not identified, if you don't have a list in your file of facts, if you don't have a list in your organizer of what it is for which you are praying, but, but also on top of that, you also have people that are already connected in your life. And when we break into groups, I want you to exhaust that list with somebody else. And if you're here with your wife, then get together as couples. Uh, if you're here without, then they get together with some of the brothers or some of the sisters. I want you to exhaust the entire list. And then to look through and see... Do I have numbers and contact information for all the people that God has put in my life? And then after you've done that, I want you to answer this question honestly. Do you think that person would be open to a friendship with you? If they are, well then, oh my goodness, God has really put something on you there. And that, the scary answer is yes, by the way. Because that means that you're going to have to then rearrange the furniture of your life. Because suddenly, Jesus and his love drops into your life, and there's a whole lot that needs to go on. And, and then, again, so, so, so number one, praying, praying, praying. Number two, as you begin to organize, it's the list. And, and, and here's, here's what I want, want us all to do. In that list, again, do they want a relationship with you? Do you have contact information with them? Then thirdly, when are you going to make contact with them? When, when is that going to happen? Nothing happens in general. Everything happens in specific. Good intentions need intentional activity if they're ever going to amount to anything but just simply an intention. And we claim to be an intentional place. That doesn't mean that we just have intentions. It means that we're intentional about what it is that we do. And so, okay, I'm repeat it again. Number one, the list of all the people. Number two, do they want a friendship with you? Number three, do you have contact information on them? And then number four, when are you going to make contact? To suggest the connection or reconnection. That, that's what we're going to talk through. Uh, and, and then as you do, then this becomes the cycle of our lives. But this is the big data dump right now to get the ball rolling. To get the summer of love traction really going. And with accountability of other people in our lives. But once that gets going, then the pray, connect, schedule, love, repeat goes into, into effect in our lives. And we should always be talking about this. Who is it? That we are connecting with, scheduling with, loving, and repeating. Who is it that is in our lives in, in that way? Hold one another accountable. We've got to make this the culture of the bodybuilders. We need to be the ones that are not afraid to reach up. And not just reach out. It's, it's a scary thing to have to reach up. But I believe that this group of people, you have the wherewithal to reach up. Why? why? Because it actually does require more faith to reach up. For me, you'd think, oh, it's probably pretty easy for you to reach out to 53-year-old white guys. It isn't. It's the hardest people for me to reach out to. 
By the way, it's the hardest people for every one of you to reach out to. Why? Because they're the most complacent folks on the planet Earth. They, they are set in their ways and they're not looking for anything else to come into their lives. That's why it requires faith. If we're ever going to give everybody a chance and we're, we're able to kind of reach, reach up, so to speak. When I say reach up, I mean beyond my station of life, beyond your station of life to be able to reach up. I've joked to say the only person who's going to have trouble with that is Zach. I don't think anybody's above his station in life. But nonetheless, I'm sure like, you know, there'll be a senator or somebody that God puts into his path. And then, you know, he'll have a chance to be able to reach up a little, just a, just a tiny bit. You know, it's like a half step up, really, at, at, that, at that point in time. But I, in that list, I think, really determine, is there anybody on that list that is requiring faith on your part? Like faith to reach up because they would look at you as like, ooh, do I really want to hang with somebody like you? Somebody who's below my station in life? Well, if, if that's all we're ever going to reach out to is people at or below our station in life, well, then one, we, we are actually limiting the gospel in the way that Paul never did, the way that the disciples never did. Uh, and by the way, the way that we're going to be able to really help to connect with those people, the way they did in Jakarta was by love is patient, love is kind, by sticking with them, bringing them into our lives, establishing a real friendship. And as the soil proves to be fertile, to be able to, to really make that connection with them. So what we'll do now is it's 334. Let's um, until 350. Let's, let's kind of group up with either one other person or one other couple, depending on how you're configured right now, and get the list going and then talk through the other things that I asked about regarding that list. And, and then if that person's in your life, hold each other accountable. Ch check up on each other. Change numbers with each other. And a week from now, call each other or text each other and ask, what, what action did you take on your list? You said that you were going to do this. You said you were going to schedule this. How is it going? We need that kind of accountability. Why? Because an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. This meeting is that outside force. We need to change inertia from an object at rest to an object in motion. The initial shove is the hardest. So if you're connecting with somebody in this group right now, they're going to need you to shove with love. But really... Really love and really shove because we've got to get traction. We've got to get better at this. We can't just try to cold contact our way everywhere that we go. Yes, we keep on doing that, but we've got to be courageous enough to turn those cold contacts into old contacts, old contacts of great and deep love. Amen. Let's go ahead and, and break over uh, to, to our kind of smaller groups to have discussion.